0: This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. All right. Romans chapter 3. So, from verse 23 says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ, say that again. He says, All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Hallelujah. Praise God. You see, three things here, and I was explaining that, please, I hope we've not forgotten the earlier part of the message of the series. I hope it's still on your mind. Hallelujah. We're going to do a service recap, maybe after the series ends, because these things are very, very important. See, there's something that I want to say and remind you of. There's something I want to say and I want to remind you of. Listen. The judgment of sin is not just organic. I know that the implications of that statement can be tough in this 21st century world where people's feelings take priority or take precedence, where it is very big on people's minds. And I know that that is very seductive because it can even creep into our heart because we cannot really separate the cultural context of a people from the kind of lens with which they will look at God's word. Hallelujah. To be honest, I understand that impulse. I truly understand it but see the judgment of sin is not just organic it is organic and legal it is organic and intentional a God who is not intentional about the judgment of sin is not worthy of worship he's not holy he's not holy imagine your government says um, everybody can be drinking and driving because eventually If you drink and drive, you'll have accidents. And leave you like that. So the wages of drinking and driving is what? Accidents. Let's leave you. Because whatever happens is because it's, it's your problem. No! That is a bad government. The intentionality of God to limit sin, to judge sin, to stop it in his tracks track so that it does not expand in his creation is intentional. So God is not going to wait for sin to kill everybody, wages of sin is the result of sin is death, and no way. No, God judges sin. And so that's why a good government, what they will do is that they will get involved and say, even if we catch you before you have accidents, we will do what? Judge you. This is what the apostles and the prophets communicated, where they consistently talked about the wrath of God, God's righteous indignation against sin. God is not just looking at sin and saying, Anyway, it's corruption, it is contrary to my nature, so over time it will die. God is not doing that. God is intentional about sin. That is the meaning of the wrath of God. I know that, you know, try to explain it away and say the wrath of God is about what? No! Wrath is wrath. Righteous indignation is righteous indignation. God judges sin. Because sin is a big deal. It's a bad thing. It is evil. It is contrary to God's nature. And God is not going to just stand aloof and say, I'm watching it. We have to be very careful. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying to you? Because you guys will hear it more in your own generation. You will hear it more. That all the things that are happening... Um, in the Old Testament and all the things that will happen on the last day are just the organic consequences of things they're just things that happen naturally when you sin no God is intentional about judging sin listen to me if by normal circumstances normally what things should have what should happen is that we should be seeing the judgment of God Sin constantly, constantly. What we see is actually God's mercy. What we see is actually God's mercy. Because God is both holy and is what? Love. God is, God is good. That's the meaning of goodness. It means to be holy and to be just. You cannot be holy. And be looking at sin and be casual about it and not be intentional about it. It's not possible. You cannot see your child running to go and drink poison, and you will say, I'll just watch. Shall I go down since you can't, and sin is a big deal. What we should normally see is actually God's judgment on sin constantly praise God so what we enjoy, what humanity has been enjoying both in the old, no let me not get into all that both in the old and the new what you are seeing today that men are living in sea and God is tolerating it up until a time is a matter of God's mercy made available by Jesus appearing, that's what we are going to talk about now so Jesus' work has given humanity time to repent, do you understand that? do you understand that? don't mistake God's patience God's long suffering with him being um, slothful or him being okay with sin humanity should not have a sense of entitlement to to mercy, do you know that? do you understand that? a mercy you are entitled to is not mercy A mercy that you are entitled to is not mercy. There's almost this thing when we, you know what I'm saying, you understand what I'm saying, where it's like, God has to be good, he has to be merciful now. No. All have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. You know what you do deliberately. Hallelujah. But God made a way. Jesus made a way. And Apostle Paul begins to explain to us like I was telling you guys last week, the way that Jesus made the way, it's something very sophisticated, something very complex, That's something that we might not ever truly be able to fully explain and articulate in our own language. But what we see, and I chose these two, three verses on purpose, because they are very interesting in the way Paul captures the three major themes that represent what Jesus did for us. Because, like I always say, it's like a facet, like a diamond that has many facets. And each part reflects a perspective, an angle, or a view of what Jesus did. And each of them, each of them is not complete in that sense. You have to see all of them together to understand fully what Jesus has done. So three major themes that we see through the New Testament, both from the Old down to the New, which culminated in the New Testament that we can all see very clearly, those three major themes are... Number one I was explaining to you is the atonement by the shedding of blood. The propitiation by the shedding of blood. Which is the the Greek word is helasterion, Like I explained. Which we see from the Old Testament. Which is the concept, the perspective of when blood is shed for the remission of sins. When the wrath of a deity is appeased by the shedding of blood of, of a sinful entity. The second one is redemption, is the ransom view, the theme of ransom. One or another way you see it through the New Testament, let me not, I'm going to talk about the first one more today, so let me just, I can just move on. So, the second view is redemption, it's like a ransom, it's like a ransom paid on behalf of someone. I found out that this one is very easy to use for lay people. When you are mentioning the gospel to God, you are preaching the gospel, this one is particularly easy to use. It's like a ransom, a, 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 a ransom paid on behalf of someone who is in bondage, either legally or, or illegally. The person is in bondage, and a ransom is paid on their behalf to get them that out. So that's redemption, ransom. The Greek word is, apolo, is apolotrosis, and, and apolotrosis, hallelujah. And the third thing that we see very prevalent through the New Testament is justification. That is, when something is done and then the king or the potentate declares and acquits a person. It's like a pardon. A person is declared legally without um, blame. Hallelujah. Do you understand that? When a person is declared legally without blame, all these three themes, they work together. You know, Um, all these three themes work together. They all reflect you know slightly different perspectives but together they try and put a whole picture of everything that has happened for us to fully understand hallelujah and that's why i feel that it's important for us to understand it you know understand these details as christians this is what the body of christ is about hallelujah so like i said the third one is justification which is to acquit a person to declare that the person is righteous legally the person standing is free and kings and all men impotented from the beginning of time have always had their capacity to do that, hallelujah so we're going to look at everything together but today I'm going to calm down on the, expi- on the expiation of sins that is the atonement of sins by the shedding of blood it is like the major facet of this perspective it's like the central central theme, hallelujah it's like the central theme and before I get into it I want to try and you know, just let you understand it's important to understand that sin is not a joke sin is not a joke whatever stands contrary to the will of God whatever stands contrary to the purpose of God has to die whatever stands contrary to the purpose of God has to be judged if God is not a good God that judges sin there is no point worshipping him Think about it very well whatever is contrary to the purpose of God has to die if not that God is not worthy of worship that's why I can never be a this I can never say I believe in the universe because there's no point. if the universe is just there does not send me and does not send evil doers do you understand does not send arm droppers and does not send corrupt politicians that are destroying the commonwealth and leading to destruction of lives look at what happened in the flood i'm telling you sin has real consequences that's why everybody must collect see the number of people that have died see the number of properties that were destroyed do you know what lets all those things sin do you know that somebody was supposed to build a dam some years ago he did not build it he spent the money the people that built a dam wanted to release the flood, and they warned the people that were supposed to warn people. They refused to warn them. They left them and allowed the flood, and it killed thousands of people, destroyed millions, and only God doesn't have much in property because human beings are behaving like demons, like demons. Do you think God will not judge? Wait, do you think God will not judge? They say no, um, God doesn't judge. It's just, it's just the consequences of. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? When the apostles talk about the wrath of God and the indignation of God, the righteous indignation, you know this thing? You know this thing that has been said? It's not part of this series, but just so you know this thing that we said that, um, um, the Bible says that wrath is sin and all that. That's bad. It's bad. Wrath is sin. And because God cannot sin, God does not have wrath. It's bad. That's bad Bible reading. It is, you, you know better. You're just trying to be smart. You know better. You're just trying to be smart. You know better. You're just trying to be smart, smart, not smart. Oh, to do a why? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Paul says, "Be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Human anger does not work the righteousness of God. So it is sin that is not unto the righteousness of God that is bad." So when Apostle Paul was saying in Galatians chapter 5 that wrath is a fruit of the flesh, he was not talking about righteous indignation, he was talking about the, the wrath of the flesh that does not walk the righteousness of God. Just what I'm saying to you. That's why he says, Be angry, but do not sin. There is such a thing as righteous indignation. Sin ought to make you angry. What do you think the Lord was demonstrating at the temple when he chased out those people? What what do you think that emotional state is called? What do you think it was? It is righteous indignation. Righteous indignation is that state of not being able to stand something. You should despise sin. You shouldn't be able to stand sin. You shouldn't be able to stand injustice. You shouldn't be able to stand oppression. You shouldn't be able to stand rebellion a rebellion against God. You shouldn't be able to you shouldn't look at people doing something that they should know better and you are indifferent about it. Just I get what I'm saying. Of course, God will judge, and so when all this evil is going on, that justice demands life. That justice it demands life. That justice, it demands life. But here is where God in his mercy made a way. He made a way that the life can be taken vicariously. So what's the person that said, whenever he hear vicariously, he yes, or something. <laughs> that life can be taken on behalf of someone, but that debt must be paid. The life debt must be paid. Leviticus chapter 16. Let's look at scriptures now. Today we're looking at atonement for sin or remission of sin by the shedding of blood. Leviticus chapter sixteen. Leviticus chapter sixteen. We we'll read this one. We will read through so we can really understand and appreciate. So make sure that your Bibles are open and you're looking at what's happening. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. You know, some people sorry sorry to cut short. Some people in their desire for a, a, a nice God are actually asking for a God that is unholy. That impulse, that feeling that is going to make you as we're reading now, that will make you feel like ah, what's the big deal? Is sin now? Why must somebody die? Why must something die? Is it not just sin? That thing, that voice is of Satan. That thing that is making you feel like it's just sin. Why does someone have to die? Why must there be shedding of blood? That voice is of Satan. Remember what I told you when we started? That any voice that makes you diminish the value and importance of sin is what? Is of Satan. Because what they are trying to do is to also diminish the place of salvation and what God has done. A God that does not judge sin is not worthy of worship. Let him day his day and let me day my day. Because that means that even after now, there is nothing going to happen. That is an evil God. Let's go on. So, see, whatever spirit is going to make you feel like as if, ah ah, what's the big deal? Ah which one is, uh, they are killing animals because someone committed sin. If that voice, if you hear it, you know how to respond, all right? You know how to respond. You say, I rebuke in the name of Jesus. Verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come, when, when, that he not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. <laughs> For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. That spirit that is allowing you to say, ah, What did I say? Because a sinful person wants to come into the presence of God. If God does not kill him, angels will kill him. You didn't get that joke. You guys didn't laugh. I'm angry. We're talking about a holy God that cannot behold iniquity. I told you that if there is iniquity in a place, it's like darkness. God's gaze alone will destroy it. If there's iniquity in a place, it's like darkness. If God should gaze on it, it will disappear, it will be obliterated. You now bring your sins, you carry your sin on your head. And you want to walk anyhow into the presence of God. If God does not kill you, angels will give you water, water, instantly. So when he was telling him, there's no God like, ah, which kind of God is this one? Well, he's telling him the fact. Oh God, you cannot just come into my presence anyhow. If you come anyhow, you collect anyhow. <laughs> Verse 3. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring... Now you understand. So the picture is a man is carrying his sin. He wants to enter God's presence. God said, don't try it. If you want to come in, this is what you will first do. You you must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put put on the sacred linen tunic, the linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen shaft around him and put on the linen turban. They are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. When the Israelite community is to make, is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin. So do you see that? Aaron is to offer the bull for his own for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his sin and his household. So the people are carrying sin on their head. They have done all have committed sin. They have come short of the glory of God. The person that wants to go and offer for them, that wants to pray for them, he himself is carrying sin on his head. The people that are carrying sin on their head, somebody must offer for them so that judgment will not wipe out all of them. The person that wants to offer so that they will not judge all of them, he himself is doing what? Carrying sin. So what is the best thing for him to do? First of all, you that are carrying sin, you that are the priest that is carrying sin, you first of all take a sacrifice offer for yourself. Let us cover your sin. Do you understand that? Let us do a remission for your own sins. It is after you have done the remission that you are clean. You are bathed. You have worn the sacred clothes that you will now take an offering for the people and now offer for them. He now says, verse 7, then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoats. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls on the, to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So now that he has done sacrifice for his own sin, the sins of the people. Moses is telling us something spiritual here, something that we do not fully understand, but he suggests to us something that we can learn. He says that for the sins of people, you actually need two goats because at least two things are happening there: one that will die, and one that will be a scapegoat. that will leave the presence of God, leave the presence of the camp. Meaning that the consequences of sin is deep. When Saul commits sin, not only is the person meant to die, even if the person mistakenly lives, he's never meant to be where God is. Do you understand that? He's never meant to be around. So, sin is meant to be banished from from the presence of God, and it's also supposed to die. How do you compress that kind of thing into day-to-day human experience? The only way is to use two goats let one represent the banishment and the scapegoat let Jordan 1 represent the death for sin, do you understand what I'm saying to you? <laughs> that's why when Jesus died the Bible says that he, let's go and meet Jesus outside of the camp where he died, so Jesus did not die inside town, he went to die outside as the scapegoat then they now hung him on a tree that's what's supposed to happen to you normally let's continue we're getting there you see verse 11, Aaron shall bring the bull I said today I won't talk with anger. God. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. Am I going, am I going back? Okay, it's now expatriating. It says, he is to take a censer for burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handful of finely ground incense. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense shall conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. That's another thing that happened in the Old Testament that we should not even go into. That, that's part of the reason why they had to do incense. Incense was supposed to be thick inside the Holy of Holies so that the presence of God the, the seat, you're never meant to behold it. So the incense is supposed to cover your eye. That is after you have done atonement for your sin. You're not even supposed to see what is happening. he is to take some of the bull's blood with the finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover and he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement before I continue do you see why I was so angry when when people say that the assurance of salvation is is money do you guys understand why I am angry now what is the proof of our salvation what is the essence of your Christianity if you don't have money please don't ever say it if I hear it in your mouth is communication what is the essence of our salvation if you don't have money what are you presenting to to unbelievers who are richer than you this is why the gospel is effective in the mouth of the poor or the rich the famous the obscure because this thing is something that no man any man can ever or will ever do for themselves what, what does money have to do with it that's why from the beginning of time, the poor have been preaching to the rich and been getting them saved. The rich have been preaching to the poor and getting them saved. The rich have been preaching to the rich and getting them saved. The poor have been... It has nothing to do with your socioeconomic status. If what your gospel has to offer the world is money and fame, you have, that is no gospel. If what Jesus has come to offer us is money, that he has already given all... Then That is no gospel. You need to understand this issue. Look at verse fifteen. He shall then slaughter the goats for the sin offering for the people, and take his blood behind the curtain and do what as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and cover it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same for the tent of the meeting, which is a more in the midst of the uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of the meeting from the time of from the time that Aaron goes to make atonement in the most holy place then he comes having made atonement for himself his household and the whole community of Israel then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it he shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the clearest of the Israelites when Moses has finished making atonement for the most holy place the tent of the meeting and the altar he shall bring forth the live goat he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goats and confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins and put them on the goat's head he shall send the goat away into the wilderness and the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it into the wilderness. Do you see that? Let me stop here. Please I advise you when you get home read because I have a lot of other scriptures that we have to read today. When we get home you can read the remaining um, parts of it. Look at you can, because normally in the physical world, one goat, you cannot banish a goat from the presence and then from, from the presence of Israel, carry, how can we put it? A goat will carry all the sins to a remote place. That means the, the goat cannot carry the sins to a remote place where sin is supposed to be banished from the presence of God and then you will go there and kill it. You know that you yourself, you will go there and meet this goat inside the sin. So the only way was to have two different goats. Representing the same thing, one goat dies, and one goat is banished. So that is what happens. What that is what sin actually is. That's what Apostle Paul was referring to, second Thessalonians chapter 4. That all those that, rebe- that are rebellious from God's shall be destroyed from his words presence. Now let's not quibble over what that destroy means because I know that um, Judah was looking at me with the corner of his eye now, right? Shall be destroyed and banished from the pres- from the presence of God. That's what it means. So the, this theme of this theme of um, what Jesus accomplished for us now look out! he now says he now says that the one that is carrying the sins he will lay his hand on it and confess all his sins on it and then that goat will carry all those sins and go out into a remote place this is one of the reasons why salvation has to be by faith That is why that universalist view that Jesus died, whether you believe in what he did for all of us, it does not matter. Jesus died because of you. That's why it does not count. You cannot sacrifice behind somebody's back. You cannot do propitiation for a person's sins in the person's absence. The person must, as a matter of speaking, lay his hands on the head of the goat and confess all his sins. That is the reason why we're telling you people on that day of doctrines of his house that any kind of repentance from salvation where you do not admit that you were a sinner and believe and accept what Jesus has done for you, you've not been saved. You yeah, what I just said now. You know all those things that they used to do, um, money service, um, marriage and relationship service after finishing you now. Say, all of you don't have to give your life to Christ, come forward. Jesus can be have give you a good marriage, you know. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because what Jesus did that day when he died, as a matter of speaking, your heart. Must lay its hand on his head, confess all your sins. That all that I, you must admit that I am carrying sin. I have fallen of the glory of God. You must lay it on him. Then he must now go out of the remote place and die for you. That is also the reason why you see it in Hebrews chapter nine that his sacrifice is able to ca- purge our conscience of dead works, so that we can be we can um, um, purge our conscience of dead works and acts of evil. Because by laying your hands on the head of the goat and recognizing that this is what should happen to me, that this goat is now going to a remote place to carry and to die for me, this is what the consequence of my own actions are. You will now not go back and say that I can live anyhow I like. Do you understand that? That is how it's, that's one of the ways that it purges your conscience of dead works. There is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you, giving you a new nature. There's another something, something else that it does to your will. There's something else that observing what Jesus has done, observing the sacrifice that has been done on your behalf, there's something else that it does to your will. By laying your hands on the head of the goats, you ought to recognize that your sin is being taken away. And no more will you live like that. Church, I get what I'm saying? To you. That's why there's no way a person can be preaching about the superabundant grace of God. Once the person gives an analogy like even if you are committing fornication now and Jesus comes, you are still going to heaven. It doesn't matter what the person has said before that analogy. The person has been preaching rubbish. Did you hear what I just said now? <laughs> Did you hear what I just said now? Does this sound harsh? If you like. It doesn't matter how much someone has preached the super abundance of grace. but If someone uses the example that somehow a believer may not lay his hand on the head of the goats, that somehow a believer will still be behaving like the goats that were sacrificed and say that he is renewed and that is all, that person has missed the point entirely you cannot talk about the forgiveness of sins without the regeneration of souls is not possible. That's why God says you will do it. All of you will be looking. You will lay your hand on the head of the boat. You will see what you are doing. You don't, that is the reason why everybody, everybody must have faith in Christ. It's not as if God is saying, I'm a teller. express Before you enter and cross into the island, your faith ticket. No the point is that that's why you must have faith you must observe what Jesus has done you must understand even if you don't understand like theologically but you must understand the place of that sacrifice and you must willingly accept and believe it do you understand know what I'm saying to you that's why this they, see, listen to me listen that Jesus died for us not everybody will be saved whether they believe or not is a lie is a lie. There must be shedding of blood. Look at Colossians chapter 1. I've not even said half of what I want to say. And the service is already finished. Oh. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross, the shedding of blood. Jesus had to shed His blood on the cross. Jesus had to shed His blood in a remote place. Jesus had to shed the blood from outside. Look at look at what Jesus said about it, Mark chapter fourteen, because you know some silly people have said that um, Paul created all these theories in his head and was deceiving you you Gentiles. Look at what Jesus said before he died. Mark 14, verse 22. He says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this. Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is what he said. He said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured which is being spilt, which is being shed, shed out for many. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant. I'm shedding it. I have to pour the blood. That act of pouring the blood is like the final stage that exemplifies everything that is happening. Because, and when Jesus was saying this thing, he was actually quoting the Old Testament. Look at it. Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. Verse 8. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words, words. So you can see. When he was talking about Jesus, when Jesus was saying that I'm going to shed my blood, this is my blood. I'm shedding for many. It is of the new covenant. What he was doing, he was standing like Moses was standing in the first covenant and telling them that before it was the blood of goats. Now, this is my blood of this new covenant. That's why we say Old Testament and what? New Testament. The Old Testament started at this point when this blood was shed for the covenant. And a new covenant and a binding contract was enacted. When Jesus spilled his blood that night for the sake of all of us, a new covenant was enacted. Hallelujah. So that's why Jesus picked his words very carefully. He picked his words very carefully. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise God. In Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 to 12, Zechariah also prophesied something like that. Let's just read it. Let's just read it. Zechariah chapter 9. If you reach from verse 9, it go all down, but let me just jump to verse 11. He says, Ah, let me see from verse 9, you will see it now. He says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and, and victorious, lowly and riding on a what? Donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hallelujah. Oh, Zechariah, good stuff. You know every time we we shout shouting Isaiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know the, the other guys too, bad guys. Look at verse 10. He says, I will take the chariots from Ephraim, the warhouses, horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bowl will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the, of the blood of my covenant with you, I will do what? Free your prisoners. From the what? Oh God, you guys are not getting it. He says, I will free my what? your prisoners from the waterless pits. Hallelujah. By the shedding of blood, he gave freedom to all of us. You know, you're in a waterless pit. When they say you're in a waterless pit, what, what is the opposite of water, right? You know, we're in a pit without water, without sustenance, and so we cannot help ourselves. And by the shedding of his blood, because of the blood of the covenant, he will free the prisoners. Praise Jesus. Church, how together? Do you see that? Jesus shed the blood of the covenant for many. Why does the blood have to be shed? Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. Let's read from verse 10. It says, I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood. I will cut them off from the people. You understand some things that were said in the Old Testament that were ceremonial laws. You understand why? It says anybody that eats blood for their time he says I will set my face against them why for the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life if every entity if the wages of sin is death if the recompense for sin is death what is, the thing that, what is the thing that actually leads to death of any living entity? It is when the blood of that entity is shed. Do you understand that? It is when the blood of that entity is shed. That's why when a person bleeds out, the person dies. Listen to me. So let me just give you a small medical perspective. Every cause of death in the human body, every cause of death boils down to one thing. When blood is not getting to tissues anymore. All the causes of death. When blood that carries oxygen is not getting to the tissues anymore, that is what causes all the death. When they say a person has heart attack, what it means is that the person's heart is not pumping again and blood is not getting to where it's supposed to get. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I just said to you now? When they say a person has cancer, what it means is that the person gets become very septic and things are happening at the molecular level whereby blood is not getting to the end tissues anymore. All the causes of death, that's what it is. Death is when the blood of an entity is shed. So he told them, You cannot eat blood because it's not for you to eat. It's something I have given you that is meant to be shed, so that your sins that that is so that instead of your own blood being shed, the blood, the, the blood of something is shed vicariously for your sake. So do you understand that? Verse 12: Therefore I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood nor may any foreigners residing among you eat blood any Israelite or any foreigner residing among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eating must drain out the blood and cover it with the earth because the life of every creature is its blood that is why I have said to the Israelites you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is its blood anyone who eats it must be cut off God does not stammer when he's repeating it 3-4 times that the life of everything is in the blood he's saying it for the sake of emphasis church are all together he's saying it for the sake of emphasis so if the wages of sin is death there must be shedding of blood that's why Jesus God himself had to come and be a man because blood must be shed do you understand that that's why he could not stay in heaven and pay for your sins. Do you understand to you? That's why he could not stay in heaven and pay for your sins. Blood must be shed. So he had to be truly man. He had to be truly man for that work to be done. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. <laughs> Praise God. Hebrews chapter 9. chapter 9 verse 9 says this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper they are only a matter of blood they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying only until the time of the new order But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now ready here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, not part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and cows, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those Who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve a living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, and those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set free to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. But because the will is in force, only when someone has died, it never takes effect while the person, while the one who who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. Do you see that? When Moses had proclaimed every command of the Lord to the people, he took the blood of clouds. Together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, "This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep." In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both of the both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no what. So, the blood of goats and bulls that could give people a kind of outward righteousness was exceedingly surpassed by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. It was exceedingly surpassed by the blood of Jesus. By beholding and our hearts laying hold of what he has done, Our sins have been put on him and they've been taken to a remote place and done away with. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. The blood of Jesus is not for making money, praise God. It's for doing something much deeper. Something much better. Something far exceeding. Something that money can never buy. The blood of Jesus is not for marriages. It's not for all that stuff. Hallelujah! It is something that, by even contemplating it and beholding of it, it can purge your conscience of dead works and take you away from actions that lead to evil. That's why the question of if I'm born again and I'm still living in sin, will I still make heaven? That question shows that maybe I'm never saved. How can you look at what Jesus has done? How can you have laid your hands on the goats that is taking your your sins to a remote place and you want to behave like the goats? How is that possible? Church, we must rediscover the old ways that when a person is saved, their life changes. That is the way it is. Forget all this call to altar that you come to Christ because Christ can turn your life around and make you rich. That's not the gospel. That's why we have a lot of people that actually don't know what the assurance of their faith is. If you ask them to go and preach the gospel, they don't even know what to say. So what have they believed? This is what Jesus has done. No matter the amount of money you have or lack thereof, (laughs) hallelujah, it accounts for you. It means that one day you are going to die in this world. And you're gonna wake up again, and that day you will not be afraid to stand before Jesus. You know that if, when people are when people are afraid of death, is is only the fear of ah, I've not done what I'm meant to do. The fear of um, if I die now, I'm going to hell is not your portion. So they get on That's why I can talk to God, I can pray. That's why I can confidently say God is inside of me. Because the thing that was between that made me and God to break up has been taken away. Hallelujah. So God is inside of me. I can confidently talk to God and I can pray. I can be optimistic. I can be optimistic. I can live a life of faith. I don't have to have depression. I do not have to let the things of this world weigh me down because I have something that is bigger than the things of this world. This is the gospel of Christ. We've not even finished. Church, bow down your heads we'll continue this Sunday. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.